Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, my fabulous listeners, and welcome to another Get Genius episode. My next guest was working for SAP, a multi-billion dollar software company, nearly 20 years ago. And at that time, he was asked to walk faster and smile less because perception is reality. He took this advice to heart and started a business based around the antithesis of this advice. In February of 2015, private equity firm AKKR acquired his company, which was called Peach New Media, and it was a learning platform software company that he started in 2001. He's the CEO and founder of the SaaS software and service business, and it had a strong emphasis on scalability, customer experience, and customer culture. Now, he's currently building a new software company called Prop Fuel, where the focus is on employee recognition and feedback. Today's episode is all focused on company culture, which is so important and a lot of times so overlooked. I think we hear about it, but we forget to implement it within our own businesses. And there's so many valuable tips that you'll get from this, whether you already have company culture and want to add some, some new tips and tricks that will elevate that, that feeling of enthusiasm and fulfillment within your team. Or whether you don't do it at all, there's just a few things that you could start doing like right now today that will create such a difference. And it's a really cool conversation that we have. I think you'll love it. There's also a free, free, a free, a free mini ebook, um, at the end that we will lead you to, and you'll get 101 of these tips that you can incorporate into your business practice and your company culture. So, um, I hope you listen straight till the end. Um, You'll really get to see why company culture is really the key to success in creating value within your business. It's not just about the numbers and the revenue. So much value is placed on, on your team and whether you're building your company, whether you're about to sell your company, or whether you're actually looking to acquire another company. This is really something that is so critical to look at because it really is the life force of the company. So have a listen. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Dave. Hey, Summer Felix. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um. I'm really excited that uh, we're doing this because I think that what we are going to dive into is, is really important for our audience and, and that's company culture. Well, I love your podcast and I'm really flattered that you reached out to me to be a part of it. So thank you for that. And, and you, we're, we're touching on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is culture when it comes to building a business. It, it's, it, it can be a, a soft subject or it can be a pretty tangible, hard subject. So I'd, I'd love talking about it. So thanks for inviting me on. Um, it's, it's great timing because I, the other day I was, I was driving in the car and I started thinking about, you know, um, it was a, a friend of mine who was acquiring a company and I thought, hmm, is he thinking about, you know, like the, the health of the team there? Do people think about that? Cause I, it started with, uh, burnout. It started with, you know, the conversation of people burn out so easily and your team members can burn out. And when you're going to buy a company or sell a company, you have to think about that because they're not just buying the numbers, they're buying, you know, a culture. And I thought, wow, this is so important. I wonder how often people actually think about that and and switch their focus out of the numbers and the actual culture of the company. So I would love to hear from you why it's so important to the value of a company as a whole. Man, you really touched on something that uh, I I also find interesting. So Generally speaking, when we make decisions, we want it to be a sound financial decision. So how do you know whether to um, invest in your culture? And are you increasing the value of the business by investing in your culture? Well, if you're a private equity firm and you've got a company that you're trying to flip in you know, five to seven years after buying it, uh, what do you do to make your company more valuable in the short term? 
well, the things you're going to do from a private equity perspective might be different from the things you would do as an entrepreneur who might not know when he's going to flip the company or she's going to flip the company. So it's a really, really interesting topic. Of course, if you're going to sell a business, it's it's my perspective that culture is an absolute must. It's really difficult to put a dollar figure on it. It's really difficult to put an ROI on it. The places where you can do a better job at putting ROI on culture are things like what you what you referred to as a turnover or or uh, uh, retention. And then there's uh, there's one that's even harder to put a dollar figure on, which is performance. But there's been a lot of studies that have shown that companies that have engaged employees, of course, there's a little buzzword for you, employee engagement. But if you have engaged employees, in other words, to me, that means employees that are emotionally invested in their work. If you have emotionally invested employees, there's studies out there. I'll have to, I think it was, um, might be Gallup that came out with a study that showed that people that actually are emotionally invested in our jobs have a um, 14% increase in productivity over those that do not. So, I mean, there's some numbers, whether you believe it's 14% or not, it's hard to deny that you're going to get greater productivity. People go beyond their job description when they feel something for their job or their business. Yeah. So that's that's a huge um, uh, element of building a great culture. That's a huge rationale for building great culture. The turnover thing, it's so expensive to lose people. I don't know how much it costs. There's studies. I don't want to argue how much it costs to lose somebody. Somebody recently asked me if we were going to, so I'm starting a new business centered around creating great cultures and it's called prop fuel. If, if you want to check it out, it's www.propfuel.com. Thanks for letting me plug that. But um, the, the, re, the reason I bring this up is because, and it's a SaaS software product designed to help companies get inside the heads of their employees to understand what's going on. It's, it's a, a survey, a feedback slash recognition platform. Super cheap, super easy to use. But the reason I bring that up, somebody asked me the other day if we're going to put a a calculator in there to show the importance of culture and creating great culture. And my thought was, look, is it worth at least 50 bucks a month? And I don't think you're going to find anybody that says it's not worth 50 bucks a month. So therefore, I don't want to get in the argument over how much it's worth. So, but I think we can all agree that, that, um, increasing productivity will likely happen in an environment where people are smiling and happy and feeling good and and fulfilled at their jobs, number one. And number two, fewer people are going to leave that job. You're going to have to replace fewer people. And in fact, I would even argue, and I can base this on my last company, I can argue that you can retain people for less money because the environment is a great place to work. So there's a lot of good financial reasons to build a great culture. But ultimately, the biggest reason is because it's much more fun going to work at a place where the culture is great. To be honest, that's why I built a great culture at my last company, because I wanted to work at a fun place. I wanted to work at a place where I wanted to be there. Yeah. There's um, and one more comment, then, then I'll turn it back to you. But um, I'm sure you're familiar with Yvonne Juneau. He's, he's the founder of Patagonia. He wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing. And I read that a couple of years ago. And this is a guy that started a business, gosh, I don't know, maybe in the 60s. And I think it was the late 60s, early 70s when he started to get a little serious about this equipment company. And it turned into a a, a clothing company, uh, much to his chagrin, actually. He wanted it to be a, a equipment, hardcore climbing company. But but actually what was selling and making the money was clothing. So, but at one point he says, the one thing I did not want to change, even if we got serious, work had to be enjoyable on a daily basis. He said, we all had to come to work. This is my favorite part. We all had to come to work in the balls of our feet and go up the stairs two at a time. That's culture. The, 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 the people coming to work on the balls of their feet and climbing the stairs two at a time, that's because of culture. And that's what gets people picking up the phone when they're talking to customers or clients that naturally have a smile on their face or naturally want to help solve a problem or naturally want to make the business a better business. So that's my take on culture. So 
obviously they, they need to have these good feelings in order to look forward to, to going to work. And do you think that, is that just let's create a fun environment or is there a deeper meaning and purpose to why they're showing up each day? So what are some of the things that create that, those feelings? Well, yes and yes. So, so we're actually putting together a, we were talking about this earlier, talking about mini books. And the only reason I call it a mini book is because I don't want to call it a white paper. But so we're, we're creating a, a, a mini book right now. We have, we have one that I think I'd love to offer your listeners, uh, 101 Perks, uh, the name and I'm, I'm trying to remember, I have it right here, 101 Company Perks and Ideas for a Great Company Culture. Uh, we'll post that on our site by the time this um, podcast goes live. Uh, but we're building another one. It's it's going to be a course, and it's it's a very very simple um, uh, email course. It's it's no more than a series of blogs that fit together that we're going to deliver to people via email. So that'll be ready. Not quite, uh, but it, it, it'll be ready in time. In a few months, I'll have that done, and that talks about the elements that make a great culture. And in some of the elements, and I'm not going to have this structured quite the way it's going to be in the in the course but environment is certainly a piece of it environment meaning that's why people have ping pong tables and pool tables and some people with scooters in their office i we actually have a blog uh what's with the scooters anyway and and uh, i think that's what it's called by the way our blog is on medium if you just look up prop fuel as well but uh, i think i think they can access that through our website as well propfuel.com uh, it, but we have a blog that questions the value of scooters in the office. And it starts off saying, what the heck is with the scooters? And that ends with, now I get it. So it's not necessarily about the scooter, but it's about the environment that you're creating. And that's why we have ping pong tables and Xbox machines and, and, and X, or what is it, Xbox 360. And obviously I'm not a gamer. And well, we have... Go ahead. I was yeah. just going to say, you know, it, it does make such a difference. Our, I mean, we have like little robots, you know, at, at our, you've been to the draw shop studio and we've got the little yeah. robots, we've got ET, we've got, we, we go to Comic-Con every year. So we collect, you know, all of these cool comics and um, figurines. And of course we have our arcade games and it is fun. It's like, you know, they, there's that, there's that saying about taking a break every 50 minutes or an hour. It's a productivity hack makes you more productive to take those breaks. So if you've got this like fun and all of these things that you love surrounded by, it does make you more excited to, you look forward to it. And then it just kind of like switches your brain into that enthusiastic mode. And I love that you wear that Wonder Woman outfit to work every day. I think that's I, yeah, so cool. Exactly. Well, that's <laughs> one way to make a culture. So the, you got this environment, and the environment is one piece of the culture. I would argue that's even more, a little more towards the perk side of thing. The thing you mentioned, purpose, is, in my opinion, the most important piece of creating a great culture. So I interviewed um, Brian Halligan. The, he's the founder of HubSpot. I interviewed him not too long ago on the Entrepreneurs Organization podcast. And Brian commented how... A, a mentor of his defined culture as the way decisions are made when you're not in the room. And the only way decisions are made when you're not in the room that in the way, the, the only way they're set up so that it's consistent is by creating a vision and clearly communicating by the way, a vision defining a mission or the word I like to use purpose I think they're very, very similar, the purpose and the mission of a company. And then, of course, truly believing in values, not not having values, not coming up with the values that you think you should have, but coming up with the values that really guide your decision-making process. And if as a leader as a co of a company, you don't fully buy into those three things, the vision of where you're taking the company the purpose of why your company is there and what it's doing to make the world a better place, as cliche as that sounds. And then the third thing, of course, is really having those values that determine whether or not a decision is a good decision. That is the most critical thing to creating a great culture in your company. And the way you determine those things is really important, too. By the way, vision, something really, really important about vision. I went a long time thinking that a vision had to be grandiose. You know, the Bill Gates vision he had in, what was it, in the 80s, where he said a PC on every single person's desk. 
is almost laughable. Now look where we are. So then you have you have uh, uh, Steve Jobs. You know, I have the classic uh, Silicon Valley tech stars that have these amazing visions. It doesn't need to be that grandiose. A vision simply could be a very clear painting of where you want your business to be in three years. The one thing I would suggest very strongly is that it's not solely financial based. Financials can be one element of this picture, but there's a lot of pieces to a puzzle that create a great vision. Finances is only one of them. If you want to be a $50 million company in three years from now, that's cool. But there's a lot more elements to your business besides the the revenue. Uh, profit margins, another one, of course, but that's another financial. So tell me, what is the, what's the culture like that you want to paint? What is it, what is it like when people walk in the door from an environmental perspective? What is it, what is your company doing from a philanthropic perspective? What is the market position of your company? What is the uh, market perspective? What do people from the outside perceive your company to be? What do the people on the inside of your uh, of the business perceive it to be? So there's a lot of variables when you're painting this this picture of a vision. But certainly, vision, uh, purpose, and values are really critical part to to culture as well. And then you have perks and just fun perks like vacation. Unlimited vacation is a really easy. One, it sounds scary, but it's not scary. Um, all kinds of perks around behavior. There was a, I interviewed another guy, David Cummings, who started Pardot, sold it for $100 million to Exact Target, who then sold to, who did he sell to? Uh, so Exact Target sold to Salesforce, I think. So uh, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, so Pardot is now a part of Salesforce. I could be mistaken on that, but regardless. So David sold Pardot, up the chain. And uh, one of the, he did all kinds of cool perks in his company. One of the things he did was he got, um, he, he had a housekeeper uh, clean his employees' houses. I'm not sure if it was once a month, once every two weeks. He got free car washes for his employees. Basically, he wanted his employees' lives to be uncluttered so that when they came to work, they felt as though there was a weight off their shoulders. I think dry cleaning was free. And if you add up all these perks, all the, all the way down to like soda and chips and snacks in the kitchen, if you add up all these perks, they're not very expensive relative to compensation. So anyway, perks, but most importantly, vision, purpose, and values. So there's, um, you know, a lot of companies will offer matching gift programs or, you know, to inspire contribution or, um, there's, these are just some examples I'm thinking of. People have some, you know, need a little flexibility with their schedule. Like we have some employees that, you know, are pretty critical to our operations yet. Yes. Those are two days that you can work from home. You don't need to be in the office or if you know that type of thing, or I need Wednesdays off so I can be with my daughter or I need, um, this time. So because of my mother's ill, whatever it is. Um, and there, unfortunately I've also heard the opposite where there's not really, there's not really a motivation to contribute um, there's no motivation for health. I mean, I've seen in, in, in a lot of really great businesses where they have, you know, like we do, um, we do yoga. We've done that, you know, we're doing yoga classes in our, in our office, come join us or whatever it is, just something that kind of brings everybody together and makes you feel good. Um, and then there, you know, there's some businesses I've seen where they're just so extremely rigid on, you know, that's too bad if it's, if your daughter has a play at school. <laughs> You need to be. Yeah, it's awful. That's too bad. So there, there's a piece of that that you mentioned I want to expand on because, um, I mean, I, obviously I could go on and on and on about culture. I mentioned environment. I mentioned the vision and values and purpose. What I didn't mention is is communication because this is another piece of the puzzle when it comes to uh, creating a great culture. And there's a lot of elements. It's how do you communicate with your employees? How do you listen to your employees? How do your employees communicate with each other? Um, and so there's a lot of ways to foster a great environment. We had a very transparent uh, communication style at my last company. Uh, 
and, and just for perspective, by the way, so I built this company over the course of 14 years and I ended up selling it to private equity. And one of the big reasons they said they wanted the company was because over other companies that were similar to ours was because of the culture of the company. And they got a feel for the culture, not only by talking to our employees, but by talking to our customers as well. And what stood out in the acquisition of our company over anything else was the culture. So I think that's a really important point to make. Um, naturally, the, the product that we made, the software we made had to be good. But the the, the thing that differentiated us uh, far and beyond our competitors was the culture of the company. So going back to communication style, you have this transparent, for us, we weren't completely open books but we were pretty damn transparent. We'd go over our, our, every month when we reconciled our books, we'd have our, our P&L statement for people to review. And I usually um, summarized it because people just didn't want to get into that much detail. So I'd give people all the knowledge about, you know, how much we made or how much we lost and how much, um, uh, what were the elements of the revenue and, and what were the elements of our expenses and so on. People love that stuff. At least having access to it, they loved the, the other thing around communication is how are people engaging with each other and are you listening? Are you providing an environment for people to offer feedback? And so that right there is actually what inspired us to build PropFuel was the fact that most companies, small businesses, don't have a platform or a medium or, or, or standard procedure around feedback and recognition. It's just kind of off the cuff, walking down the hallway. Sometimes you have these um, programs that I hear about where you mention things in company meetings, which is cool too. But we've developed this platform to bring feedback and recognition to the forefront of everyone's mind in a culture. And I think that's a really important element of creating a great culture. So they're feeling acknowledged and celebrated for, for their achievements. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. And and the other part, so yes, there's two sides of it. Let's focus on that for a second. You can say a lot of positive and negative things about um, the, the millennial generation. And oftentimes you hear the negative, but I think that's just tradition. As the older generation, we always want to make fun of the younger generation. And, and you know, the baby boomers did that to us, the Gen Xers, and we're, of course, going to do that to millennials. And, and, it, and so it goes. But um, there's a lot of great aspects to millennials as well. Look, whether you like the behaviors of millennials or not, it doesn't change the fact that there's a certain environment, there's certain characteristics that are going to um, get the most, in, in, increase the productivity of the millennial the most. So we, we cannot deny whether you like it, agree with it or not. We are not there to parent them. We are there to put them and give them an environment for them to thrive in. And with this generation, more than any other generation, they want feedback and they want to be heard. So by feedback, I mean, they don't want to be told what they're, <laughs> they don't necessarily want to be told all the time what they're doing wrong, but they really want to know when they're doing something right regularly. So recognition is a really, especially peer-to-peer -peer recognition is a great way to offer our employees regular and frequent feedback. It's not deep and meaningful feedback. It's regular and frequent feedback. And then that's feedback from peer to peer. But then you also have this really important element of understanding what's going on in their heads. I mean, trying to understand what are they talking about when they go in that corner office and they're all huddled up in a drinking a soda, talking about something. And you walk by as the owner of the company, you kind of see three or four people talking in an office with the door shut. What the heck are they saying? What are they saying by the water cooler? When they go out for a drink after hours, what are they talking about? And we can guess and they'll tell us some of the stuff they're talking about. But that's where it's really, really valuable to have a tool that can pull, run these what's pulse surveys, basically, out and, and get some feedback directly from your employees so that you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. So that's what we found in the last business is really, really important. We did that using simply a Google Docs, and it was pretty was good. Done? What's that? How often was that done? So the way we did it at my last company is we had weekly meetings. Our meetings were on Monday. So what I would do is I would send out a Google Doc 
um, a, a survey form basically saying, hey, did anybody do something great this week that you want to comment on? And by the way, how are you feeling about your job? So I have a couple of questions. And uh, we didn't mix it up very much. So we got probably a 25% participation. And to be honest, I was okay with that. 25 out of, you know, we had 40 or so employees, you know, 25% any given week were making comments and, and recognizing other people. It gave me some, some, something to talk about and, and a way to, to uh, brag about certain employees. And, and I would always get involved and throw in some recognition myself. Um, so we had weekly meetings. I would take the data out of this um, report that we generated on a weekly basis, and I'd put it into our company meeting. We'd save it for the end. I'd run through all the recognition. And then I or whoever was running the meeting would pitch, pick a peach of the week. The company's peach in the media. We'd, we'd pick a peach of the week, and we'd give that person basically public props, and they'd get a $10 gift card. Did people do it for the 10 bucks? Of course not. In fact, I would argue half the time they didn't even get the, pick up the gift card. It was just a matter of getting publicly recognized that was important. So that's how it worked for us. So what are, what are some red flags of a team that the company culture, whatever it is, because I'm sure there can be bad culture too, of a team that's just not vibing? What are some of those? What does that look like? What's What do you look out for? I, th I think we've all seen it. I mean, it comes in all different shapes and sizes. I can tell you some of the things I've seen in, in my companies when I knew we need to address certain things. Um, I'd, I'd be a fool and unbelievable if I said that we've always had a great culture and everything was always rosy in, in, in my company. That's certainly not the case. I mean, some red flags when, when you have employees that confide in you and they come up to you and say, Hey, you got to know something, you know, there's, there's some talk going on. It's not pretty. So you got to a, uh, fortunately I, I ran the company, not like a dictator, but I actually enjoyed a lot of my employees and I wanted to hang out with them. And so sometimes I get kind of under the table feedback saying, look, you got to start to listen to this group of people because they're not happy. So there's there's a red flag is if somebody tells you something's wrong, you better listen. The other thing is uh, oftentimes if you hear, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to tell you what to listen to. When I heard gossip, to me, that's just like it's a cancer in, in an organization is gossip. And um, there's been times that you have to lead by example. And there, 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 unfortunately, there's been a few times that I remember having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, just shutting down that behavior. Gossip's a horrible thing because, because um, um, it, it's fun when you hear something about somebody. But tell me you don't leave that conversation wondering what that person's saying about you. It's so true. It's a, it's, it's it's awful and it's fun. It's, it's so, so easy to do. It's so easy to fall into that trap. It really, really is. So don't be too hard on yourself if you find yourself gossiping. I'm not saying that if you gossip at all, you're a bad person. I'm just saying you got to be careful on how much of it is going on in the organization. Here's another thing. If you hear employees bitching and moaning all the time about clients, that's a red flag because generally speaking, you are the one that instills that behavior in your employees. So if you walk around bitching and moaning about the clients and joking and being sarcastic about them, guess who else is going to do it? So there needs to be an incredible amount of respect. And this is where it takes real discipline. But you need to respect your customers and your employees. And what's going to happen is everybody's going to follow suit, which is a, it's a really interesting phenomenon. And I know that because I've done both sides of it. So that that's like that's a good point right there. And I know that you know that happens where your team is dealing with a difficult client. You as mm -hmm. a leader, how do you deal with that conflict between? Yeah, that's really really hard. I mean, it's it's um. So I can give you a, a an example. Um, and and we all have had challenging experiences with clients. Oftentimes, what leads to a difficult client is the fact that they're angry and upset because they're not getting what they thought they signed up for. Yeah. You know. Well, that's one example. 
Um, sometimes they're just bitchy and male or female. They just they're bitchy and curt and not very friendly. So it's you know to be honest, I let people vent and sometimes I vent about it. But then the conversation goes to why are they responding like this? What is it that they're seeing that's causing this response? And so if you can start to look at this objectively in terms of identifying what is it about our service, about our product, about what we're doing that is driving this response, now you can start to understand their perspective. And sometimes, oftentimes, just understanding their frustration is all they want. They don't always want a resolution. They just want to know that you get it. And I, and this is not true all the time. This, I mean, obviously, I'm talking about some some experiences that I've had. But I can tell you that when people have come and complained to me about our software breaking or something being wrong or a service being bad, oftentimes all they want to hear is, I know, I'm really sorry about that. We're working on it. We're, or here's what we're doing to fix it instead of arguing with them. And um, so anyway, so that, that's that's one thing is like, I, you can't prevent people from bitching and moaning. And I think that's fine. It's just it needs to end in the right place. And the right place is how do we make this right for the client? And here, here's another thing, though. So I've had some employees that were literally driven to tears. And I hate when that happens. Now, occasionally I get it. But when it happens regularly or, or even more than once when somebody is driven to tears by a client, there's a point where I believe, and again, I don't want to tell anybody listening to this what they should do to run their business. Nobody knows your business as well as you do. But what I did is you have to make a decision at some point, who's it going to be, the client or your, your employee? And so there's been a handful, not a lot, there's been a couple times where I've reached out to a client to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about the relationship. And I remember one very specifically talking to a client very directly and respectfully saying, look, I, this, this employee is very important to me. And the way this relationship is right now is not working for us. And I don't think it's working for you. She's miserable she ends the day in tears, and I will not have employees end their days in tears. So what are we going to do about this? And that sparked a conversation, and that's all, that's all it needed. And believe it or not, this is like – it's almost hard to believe. This is almost a little too fairy tale. They ended up being really good friends, the client and uh, my employee. So it's a really bizarre turn simply because we opened the dialogue. But see, that says so much. So to me, like what, what I'm hearing in this, um, in a lot of this, even going back to talking about feedback and, and when there is conflict and even in just regular, you know, your relationships, your personal relationships, um, it's really about feeling that acknowledgement, feeling heard, feeling validated. So, um, you know, if a customer's not having the, the type of experience that they thought they would and you apologize instead of going, well, I don't know what you're talking about because we delivered. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're immediately defensive, then they're still going to remain in that same place of frustration. Whereas if they feel heard, it's interesting how people immediately kind of soften up and go, oh, you, you get it. You get it. What it's I so funny you use that as an example. I mean, that's something. So the, my last company was an enterprise software company. It was a learning management system. And, and it's so funny you said that because so often I would hear, we did it. We did what they told us to do. You know, so it's a very defensive position as the vendor here. Um, and that's an attitude that's really dangerous because what you're doing is you're putting on your fighting gloves. So um, that's where you got to turn it around and say, I know, I know we did it. So where is the misunderstanding? What are they seeing that we're not seeing here? And that's where you really got to try to put their, their, the, the other shoes on. But I like where you're taking this. So it, clients want to be here, heard. Customers want to be heard, as do our employees. And, and you so don't it's have to really, really important as the CEO or the entrepreneur or the leader of the company right. that we're not only fostering an environment for our employees to listen to the customer, but we need to be able to listen to our employees. And really, I mean, you know, everybody's 
everybody wants to feel that connection and the way that they feel connected to something or someone is, is feeling understood. I mean, it's the same as, you know, in marketing in your communication with, with anyone. And it's an opportunity when there is that conflict or there is kind of that wall up or the tears or whatever it is. It's that opportunity to actually build, you know, a deeper connection, which improves the culture. So sometimes those things that are the flags, I would say, it's just an opportunity to go, oh, okay, we need to tweak this. We need to, let's, let's you know, connect here and, and really see what's going on instead of, you know, go stand in the corner and cry it out. <laughs> so I think what you're touching on is, is really, really important. It really is about opening a dialogue. And I think oftentimes we make assumptions and we jump to conclusions and we guess and um, and that's what leads us down a bad path. That's in fact, that's the whole point behind it. Having an open, transparent environment is when things aren't known, when things aren't transparent, people start to make assumptions and they start to pay, create their own story as to what's going on. So why not just let the truth sit out there and, and it, makes, it takes away a lot of the guesswork. Man, I, I wish... It, I think I really hope my wife doesn't listen to this because if she hears this, she's going to be like, Oh really? So you're such a good listener. You're such, so you don't try to solve my problems. Oh my God. I wish I could apply this to my house. I know it's so funny. That's what people do. They, they treat, sometimes they treat their, their personal relationships too much like a business. And then they're, Oh, I, I'll tell you, I could, tr I should treat it more like a business for that matter. I should, I should listen more to what's going on in the house as opposed to just trying to solve all the problems. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, at the end of the day, if you just remember that, you know, people just need to feel understood. You don't have to fix anything. It's like that fixes so much because it just switches the mindset to where people are more open to a solution than being just closed off and pissed. <laughs> That's right. Wait, Wait what, what are we, are we talking, talking about? Home I know. Or what work? Are we? <laughs> I don't. Company culture, marriage culture. Now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you as a leader, I'm curious. Um, what are the three most important practices for you in 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 your leadership for with your company? Uh, three most important practices. Okay, so, and I'm going to do these off the cuff. On this. <laughs> I'm, just say, I'm sorry, this. say it again? I didn't give you any prep run or warning on this. I'm just throwing No, it. that's okay. It's it's a good, um, it's it's like a good dinner. I always like to ask um, questions at dinner around the table so that we're not just figuring out our schedule around our house. Because if, if we just leave the conversation open at home, we'll start talking about what's going on tomorrow and who's going to get the kids the band and who's going to do scouts and how are we going to decide. So I always like to ask questions to get people thinking. So here's a good one. So, so the question was just to clarify, what are the three things that I focus on most to foster a good environment at work to create, to, 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 to be the best leader I can? Yes, exactly. All right. So first and foremost, and it has a lot to do with creating a great culture, right? So, so I'm, because I'm so focused on creating great culture, I'm going to give you some of the same answers that I already gave you around how to make a great culture. But first and foremost is, uh, to create and live by a strong vision to know where you're taking the company. And sometimes that's really hard with a startup or a brand new company because you don't really know where it's going. So vision might be where are you going to be in three months from now? Or vision might be where you're going to be in three years from now. Or sometimes with a family, we talk about where are we going to be in three decades from now? So the vision doesn't matter whether it's tomorrow or in three years or three decades. It's, it's a, it's still a vision. So having some idea of where you're going is really really important. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is the purpose of why you're doing things. Simon Sinek, I'm, I'm sure many of, of, of your listeners have heard of Simon Sinek and, and his book, Start With Why. He's got a great 18-minute TED Talk, Start With Why. Um, that's where I would start. Um, and so I'm going to go with vision, why, uh, uh, purpose, and values. That's That's the first thing. And they're all, this, they are all tied right to. to yeah. Die. I didn't want to separate them. That's why I left them all as the first thing. Yeah. So the second thing, uh, I think it's really important to, and I'm not very good at this, 
but I think it's really, really important as a leader to keep your ears open, to listen to what's going on. Um, uh, because I think so often we get wrapped up in our own little worlds. And look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what many of us I think know is most. Uh, I don't want to say most. A lot of entrepreneurs have a big ego, and and I think partially we have to because there's so much rejection in the world of entrepreneurship. You really got to have thick skin. And oftentimes it goes hand in hand with that is is um, is being stuck in your own head. So I think it's really, really important to listen to what's going on. And that's the um, that's the feedback component that we've built in in Propuel. It's an automated system to help listen to what's going on in the company. And then um, the third thing I'm. Uh, I would say is, and I was bouncing around a couple different options for the third. Um, but the third thing I'm going to categorize into a big umbrella called um, attitude, but I'm also going to bulk in there leading by example. And I'm also going to bulk in there saying thank you and being kind to your employees. So, so this go, this, this, I guess could fall in the recognition category, make sure that you're creating an environment where people are feeling good at work, but most, and gosh, there's so much that falls into this bundle, uh, creating autonomy and creating an environment where people feel trusted. Let's, I don't want to talk about that for a second. Trust is when you give somebody a project and you don't micromanage it. You let them run with it. Yes. And the too often we're looking over people's shoulders and we're correcting things that just don't really matter that much. If it's not going to bring the company down, let them go forward with it. Unless your way is going to dramatically change and improve the company, let them do it their way. So that's another piece of this. Um, the third component, I don't even know how to label it. I, I think too, I, I just with trust and, and I've seen that with, with entrepreneurs and it's so hard for them to let go of certain things because they believe everybody's going to do it like they're going to do it. But the thing that happens, it's, it's really, I mean, I've, I've never seen it not happen is that once you put that trust into the person that's taking over something for you, it's amazing how much better they become when you're Mm -hmm. on their back and you're analyzing, like you said, you're micromanaging, they, they make more mistakes. (laughs) And it doesn't, you're right. It's, yeah. it's just, just having that, you know, Oh, they trust me. They're confident. It's like they allow you, you allow them to, to really like thrive in what they're doing. So summer all my life until I was about, well, the first half of my career, I would say until I was about 30, I'm 46 now to the point I was 30, I was a chameleon. So I would try to be whatever my boss wanted me to be. And so when I interviewed for jobs, I would talk the way they expected somebody in that role to talk. I would I would be an expert on the things they wanted that person to be an expert. So I was behaving like the role was supposed to behave as opposed to coming to the table with my own opinions, my own expertise on things, with my own personality and finding the right fit. And the result was I sucked at every single job I ever had. Until I built a business on my own at age 30 or 31, where I actually built a business based on my set of expertise or my set of skills and my personality and the things that I liked to do. That Once I built a business that was centered around uh, better around my personality, my true personality, that's when things thrived. And so you're absolutely right. If we give people the opportunity to be themselves and deliver the work as they would deliver the work, we're going to find the, the level of productivity goes way, way up. Absolutely. It, it allows it. Yeah. That's where, that's where innovation and creativity starts when we're, we get, we get stopped when we're trying to be what somebody else wants us to be. But it takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? It's hard. Oh my gosh. It's so hard to do. Well, those are awesome, and I love the attitude as well because that's really your attitude is is gonna is huge in creating company culture. If you have a bad attitude, yeah, I forgot then what my third one was. Gonna... I'm glad you said that. 
I got it. I, I love it. Atti- attitude. Bundle, like, all my next, my, if I had a list of 10 things, I tried to bundle like three through 10 into the attitude. <laughs> no, I love it. And it, I mean, attitude is, it's, it's that, you know, everyone's heard it. Attitude is everything. It really is. Um, okay. So let's talk about this, this mini book, because I think there's so many things that we touched on in this interview, but there's, there's 101. Am I correct? Oh my God. And, and actually, you know what? I'd be lying if I said I didn't write down another one that you, um, you said, and, and I don't think I had it in here. And it was something as simple as matching, like company matching charitable donations. I didn't even have that in there. So now I have 102, but I'll probably replace one of the ones that's a little weaker. But yeah, there's, so this is, um, some of these are going to a little more depth and some are very, very short. Um, I'll read you a couple examples of what's in here. And really, these aren't meant to say, here are the 101 things you need to do to make a great culture in your company. Not at all. This is a list of stuff. And it starts with a little bit of a, 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 I'd call it like a blog post sort of introduction to where this is coming from and the attitude in which to read this. And I even mentioned Yvonne Junot and his quote about climbing the stairs two at a time. And so there, there's things in here like unlimited vacation. Uh, the There's something Google does called the 20% time, time to work on whatever project you want. So there's there's um, a thing in here, comfy couches. That's one. Maybe I'll replace that with yours because comfy couches sounds pretty weak. Um, so there's team building overnight retreats, which I think is a, and that's something I could, I could write a whole blog post on team building overnight retreats. They're they're so valuable for bonding people together. Here's one that I did at peach that I always liked. And that is I would pay for road race registrations or any registration to any athletic exercise that somebody wanted to do. And, and we'd try to do some together as well. But if somebody just wanted to do one in their own town and, do a 5k my company would pay for it just to make sure they got out and had some fun uh standing desks autonomy and trust that's number 53 here on the list um uh, and and expand on each one of these a little bit uh, there's uh, oh here's a cool one there's a concept called circles and i think i can't remember if this came from netflix or google it came from one of the really cool or maybe it was zappos it came from one of those big culture companies that 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 done things so great. I might, I think it was Google. A circle is a group of people, not unlike a task force, but circles just sounds cooler. So it's basically a group of people that take on a responsibility outside of their day-to-day operation. So it's outside of their, um, uh, uh, um, job description. And this team of people is tasked with a very specific job, but they are given full autonomy to do it, and they are given a budget. It's like running a little company within the company to get a specific uh, job done. And so that's something we implemented at our last company, too, and it worked great. We'd have regular updates, but it gave people a lot of automate, uh, autonomy. Anyway, that's an example of what's in here. I could keep going. There's 101 of them here, apparently. And uh, But, yeah, we'll, we'll put this on our website. And uh, it's it's we're still fine tuning it, making it real pretty. By the time this podcast is live, this will be sitting on our website, ready to go. So if you go to propfuel.com, uh, I can't tell you where exactly, but on the on the website somewhere there'll be a very obvious link to download 101 company perks and ideas for a great company culture. So look for that, and um, yeah, by all means, I love your feedback. And, and in fact, maybe we can create a. Um, a way for people to submit their ideas that aren't on this list. Wouldn't that be cool to make this a thousand and one? Super cool. And um, we'll also, so that's propfuel.com and we'll have a link to that in our show notes and blog post along with some of the. Oh, and as a matter of fact, if you're, if you're interested in trying this, I'm not sure when we're actually going to turn on the billing for this, but right now we're taking uh, alpha and beta testers, we're in alpha right now. By the time this goes live, we'll probably be pretty darn close to beta. And uh, we're taking on testers that want to give it a shot. So there's a way to sign up for the wait list. Uh, and perhaps by that point, we'll be live and ready to take the signups as uh, um, right there on the site. So keep an eye out for that if you want to try it out. That's awesome. 
Look, I finally used um, Awesome. I don't know how much I've used it, but I had a goal of using it multiple times. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Good for you. It's awesome. Um, yes, listeners, we had a conversation about the word amazing and awesome just before we, we started recording. Um, well, this is this has been awesome. It's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, for me too. I love talking to you. And and it, so we've we've had some meetings in person and you're and your office and what a great talking about a great environment, a great culture. You guys just run that place. It's like a model shop for, for a great culture. So well done. I, Thank you. I just love talking to you and I love talking to, to the people you work with. So anyway, thanks, thanks for so having much. me in the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, loved having you and I hope, I, I know I am going to see you in a few weeks, um, which will be great. Yeah. Looking and, forward uh, to it. Yeah. So thank you so much for the, the free mini book for, for everyone and um, for sharing all this really, really incredibly value information. I think just with some of the things that we've talked about on this interview, if people could start implementing and, and take note of that within their own culture, um, they'd see results pretty quickly. So um, I agree with you. It's it, You know what? Even just taking a few of these ideas back to work on right off the bat it's it's it has an an amazing shift the things that have the biggest shift though are the core elements which are you know the the uh, creating that vision and values but really standing by it the the other thing we just mentioned which was uh, creating trust and autonomy i mean those kinds of things take a little bit longer it's not just flipping a switch. It takes a little bit longer, but that's where you're going to see the greatest return on a culture. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, with that, thank you again. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon. Bye, Summer. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.